Welcome to Buddha at the Gas Pump. My name is Rick Archer, and my guest this week is Fred Davis. Um, I began hearing about Fred a little while back. I started getting all these ravingly enthusiastic emails about him <laughs> from various people. I, may, I might even read a couple of excerpts. And I thought, well, got to have this guy on, I guess. Um, Fred uh, studied and practiced Eastern wisdom for 25 years prior to 2006. Uh, when his seeking ended and his true awakening commenced. He is the creator and editor of Awakening Clarity Now and the founder of The Living Method of Awakening. He is also the author of The Book of Undoing, Direct Pointing to Non-Dual Awareness, Beyond Recovery, Non-Duality and the Twelve Steps, and Awakening, Awakening Clarity, A Spiritual Sampler. The Living Method of Awakening is an extraordinarily successful process of direct pointing that encourages immediate recognition of our shared true nature. Hundreds of people on five continents have found the door to freedom using the Living Method. His work has appeared on Advaita Vision, Non-Duality non Living, Meeting Truth, One, the Magazine, and it also shows up frequently in Non-Dual Highlights, but so far not the Oprah Show. <laughs> He is happily married. This is the lead-in. Yeah, right. So he is happily married, deeply loves animals, uh, and lives as a chiefly ignored urban hermit in Columbia, South Carolina, <laughs> deep in the Bible Belt. That's right. Very buckle. <laughs> yeah, right. So, Fred, I've I've really enjoyed uh, getting to know you over the course of the last week or so. I've listened to most of your YouTube videos. Uh. Um, I say, listen, I'm sorry. Oh, that's all right. No, they're very good. My, my inner interviewer kind of like just sort of listens along, you know, and, and is always asking questions or sort of thinking, is that right on? Or is that a little off or whatever? You know, not, not that my sort of perspective on it would be the final word by any means, <laughs> but just, you know, to the best of my lights, I kind of like take all this stuff in and try to, you know, put it in a context. We can't not. Yeah. But I must say that, you know, I've agreed, uh, again, not that my agreement is any sort of final arbiter of truth, but I've, I find myself agreeing with almost everything you say. It just, it resonates with me. And uh, who knows, next year I might disagree with it all. But Yeah, that's right. That's right. Exactly. Well, yeah, it might even be tomorrow. Yeah. We, do, we certainly don't want to become fixed. But so far, so good. With, I might disagree with everything tomorrow. Sometimes I, I read something and I go, yeah, that's not particularly clear, Fred. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, let me just for kicks uh, read a couple little bits from things people sent me here. Here's one woman named uh, Georgette. You probably know who she is. Yes, I do. Um, she says he's, he's a friend who's been the most effective teacher in my 30 years of spiritual seeking. And uh, she goes on quite a bit, but she just said, I, had a, I did a direct pointing session with Fred and died into the deep end, or is it deep beginning? Prior to the session, my life seemed contained in a bubble that bounced back and forth from being awake in and as the dream to being asleep in the dream. Not a bad life at all, a lot of joy, amazement, and okayness, with just enough suffering to lay a reasonable restriction over pretty much everything. <laughs> Since the session, the apparent containment has dissolved into wide-open welcoming. I didn't wake up. I simply recognized the infinite affluence of what has always been freely available. Now I know that now I know what all the teachers on your show have been pointing to. It's me, and not something else. <laughs> It's such a relief to see that this thought-generated non-person was looking for what it couldn't possibly find, an enlightened self, thus the ongoing search for 30 years. 
Uh, one more sentence. There's a the conspicuous and boundless capacity to see the world without distinguishing a fish from a cantaloupe. And yet there's a precious honoring of both as individual appearances. Being human has become most delicious. So that was nice. She's a wonderful writer. Yeah, she's good. And then there was another one from somebody that was like, eh, I don't know. I, I think I've got one of those. I, I think I'm one of those get wet gradually people you talk about. In some ways, I see things differently. In some ways, I don't. Did it happen after I talked to Fred? Maybe. It might have happened before or just gradually over time. And Fred spread up, sped up the process. He did have a way of stopping my mind from going places. and So, so she's a little bit more ambivalent. And Yeah. Right. That's good. Let's, let's get some of that in here. Yeah. <laughs> God almighty. We don't want to pass me off as the master magician. Right. So anyway, um, we'll, have, we'll have plenty of time to talk about all this. And um, and you have quite a story. I'm quite yeah. a quite a speckled past. I mean, everything, yeah, everything from jail to whatnot. The but um, yeah, the drunken stuff and... Uh, so why don't we start with that? Because people always like to hear the personal story as well as the teaching, you know. Well, it would be interesting. I can I can kind of combine some of that by telling you that I've I mean that I first got the idea to get involved in this, whatever this is that we're doing, <laughs> in um, 1982, and I woke up in a uh, woke up in what I love to term an insane asylum. <laughs> You mean and, you woke up in the spiritual sense? No, no, no. This oh, is you, you just woke, no, Yeah, I, mean, I know, I was, but you woke up. I mean, oh, you woke up from the sleeping state into the waking state in an insane asylum. No. No, what I mean is is that I first got an interest in this 30 years ago. I didn't wake up till like seven years, eight years ago. The, uh, but in 1982, I got the first bug. I was in an insane asylum. And all of a sudden, and I was in, I remember, because I was, uh, I was drawing something with crayons. I wouldn't give us anything particularly sharp. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the thought popped in my mind, you should study Zen. And this was like the most incongruous thought that imaginable for someone in my condition. As, as I stood it, because I, in in, in, I was on the inside, I mean, I was uh, in an insane asylum. On the outside, I was homeless, and I was a drunk and a ne'er-do-well. And, like, just the idea that I was going to become some kind of a Zen master <laughs> was just was totally absurd to everybody but me. And for me, it was just like perfect sense, okay. And because uh, I could look around and see that I couldn't do any, you know, that by if I, if I started studying Zen, I couldn't possibly do any worse. <laughs> So you you sort of bottomed out, in other words. Yeah, oh yeah. Well, but of course, there's a trap door to every bottom, and there was a trap door to that one too. But this is where it started. Yeah. So it was. I, I had kind of a similar thing. I, I was pretty much bottomed out, dropped out of high school, and arrested a couple times, and you know, sitting there on on some drug, and uh, picked up a Zen book and thought, whoa, this guys really know what they're talking about. Uh, you know, I got to get serious here. That's it's just the slightest little thing that enters, you know, because we never, well, from, from my teaching standpoint of view, from my point of view, we don't ever make a decision to become seekers. I mean, it just happens, you know, it's just, it's just God's grace or something. Yeah, it's like we're mugged. <laughs> Get him back. Okay, you're now a spiritual seeker. And of course, now as I view it is that I was a spiritual seeker for years prior to that, and my uh, and my chief avenue was drugs and alcohol and women. Yeah, you know, I mean, just I would say that all seven billion of us are spiritual seekers. If we yeah, really, that's yeah. right. That's right. That's everybody's right. on the path. 
yeah, everybody's everybody's on the path. Some of us are some of our paths are a little bit more skillful than others. <laughs> <laughs> but I had to have an awful lot of suffering before I could come around. And uh, so I, I, I began to study the uh, I began to study Zen. And well, actually, I started studying with Tibetans, but um, they wouldn't let me be. I mean, right off, I could find out it wasn't going to work because they weren't going to let me be the Dalai Lama. <laughs> and man, if they were not going to let me be the king, I mean, you know, then I just wasn't very interested. So, but they did teach me how to meditate, and they were very kind. I mean, they were they did everything right, and just I, this was just not a ripe apple at the time. Uh, and then. So I, I, I dropped back into a, a spiritual circle I was more comfortable with, which was me. <laughs> <laughs> and I studied. I was, I was, I've come from the school of bookstore Buddhism. Uh, that's my lineage. And I was, <laughs> I was a bookstore Buddhist for um, uh, many years after that. And then off and on, because that's the good thing. I had no commitment, so I wasn't required to do anything if I didn't feel like it. And uh, so when I moved out to Portland, Oregon, in the middle of a midlife crisis, and while I was there, I started a little bit, or whenever, I spent a little bit of time at the Zen Center there. And, but once again, they were not going to just let me lead the thing. And clearly, they needed some leadership, because I knew just how things should go, and they did not. So I couldn't stay there very long either. I just wasn't a joiner. So just to wrap it up a, a, a little bit to, or accelerate it, let's put it that way. So I'll just accelerate now to the fact that I tried those things. They didn't, they didn't work for me. So I went back to the old reliable. I went back to drinking. And, um, and I, you know, there's, I mean, there's enlightenment there on a regular basis. It's just that, it, you know, it, it's only good for as long as the high lasts. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it, very loosely defined enlightenment. Yeah. But. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. Very loose. <laughs> yeah, like such as I'm um, uh, not a potato. I mean, it's that, <laughs> right. that's the kind of enlightenment I was getting. So, but the funny thing is, is that while I was in Portland, is that I, I is that I did. That's when I actually got my first glimpse. Even even though I was uh, drunk, I wasn't drunk at the time, but I was living a drunkard's life. But I was still at the simultaneously to living this total drunkard's life. I was sitting a lot. I was sitting, well, you know, sitting a couple hours a day at least. In meditation? In meditation. Ah. In, in, in Zazen, in my basement. So I was sitting, religiously sitting. I mean, I, I, I don't know how that happened. And then while I was doing that, I discovered self-inquiry. And the way that I discovered it. Why do you call that a drunkard's life? Uh, well, I mean, I was drinking. I was drunk. from the, If I wasn't at work, I was, pretty, I was either drunk or getting ready to get drunk. So you were you were meditating a couple hours a day, but you were also still drinking a, a lot. Yeah, I would sit in the mornings before I went to work, uh -huh. and because I wasn't drunk, and yeah. then I would sit as soon as I got home. <laughs> you would drink. You know, yeah. I mean, I'd have a couple of drinks, and then I would, but then I would sit. Oh, after I, having had a couple of drinks. Yeah, right. Exactly. I still had some. I still had some control. Yeah. In addiction at that point. Later on, I, I had no addiction. I mean, no control whatsoever. Um. So at any way, I started uh, I was doing the sitting and everything, and I hit upon this thing. I was working on a Zen Cohen, myself being the Zen master, of course. My, you know what they say about lawyers that the lawyer that has uh, that's representing himself as a fool for a client. Right. <laughs> I was kind of like that as far as being a teacher was that I, I was a pretty good teacher, but I had a fool for a student, and um, so I. But I ran across something that said. 
I was working on on uh, show me your uh, your your original face, your face the face before your parents were born, and and I was going over that and over that. And of course, I was trying to make sense of it. And but what happened? I never did, and I never woke up from that. But what happened was that somewhere along the way, I, I ran into a, a, a phrase that said that this is the same thing as asking who am I, and man, that was simple. And and I did that the same way that I drank or did anything else or gambled or did anything else, which I did it compulsively. And I mean, it was just I mean, I didn't know how to do it. I had just run across one sentence that said, "Ask yourself, who am I?" So I went about my day saying, "Who am I?" I guess thousands of times, certainly hundreds of times, which was, you know, because it was like, "Who's walking across the room? Who's vacuuming? Who's?" I mean, just over and over again. I don't know if you saw my Michael James interview, but uh, he 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 made the point that it's like picking up a book and and sitting there with a the book in your lap, saying, "What's in this book? What's in this book? What's in this book?" You know, it's, it's it might be smarter to actually open the book. And but I was always big, you know. I was always big on that kind of just just knock your head against the wall spirituality. So. Um, I did get a glimpse at that time, and it, and, uh, and it was authentic. I knew at the time it was authentic. I mean, I just knew, oh, this is it. Wow. But the problem is is that I had no structure. I had no I – I was insane. I was a drunk. And so right behind that came ego, and ego just sucked that right up. Just, oh, I mean, it wasn't – I mean, it wasn't minutes. You know, we talk about, oh, well, re ego rebuilt over a period of time. Well, my period of time was like you could have counted it with your second hand. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, oh, now I'm really special. Now I'm one of the wise of the world, which is a, the, which is a, a, a line I stole from the trilogy about Gandalf. Because I, now, <laughs> now I was right up there with Gandalf. Any rate, for 12 more years, I uh, it just... Uh, that went away. It didn't do, do anything except for drive me crazy. For 12 years, I then continued to drink and change. And then uh, in 2000, um, it came to me because after having... Let me ask you a question. Yeah. When, you, when you were drunk, yeah. I mean, did, did you actually find that that condition was preferable to being sober? Was there something actually more fulfilling about it than, or even preferable to your meditative states? I mean, I, I mean I've gotten drunk a few times in my life as, as a teenager and did drugs for a while, but you know, at a certain point, the, the kind of, when the spirituality started to wake up, it's like those states couldn't improve upon my normal state. They were, they were inferior to it, and so the, the taste for them completely disappeared. See, that's because you had, you had a you had a, you were in a moderated state. I mean, in other words, you weren't drinking all the time. And so, for me, my regular life was absolutely awful. Because by this time, when I was, by the time I got in Portland, I mean, I had already, um, I had had been a very successful guy. I had, um, you know, owned a couple of businesses and stuff, and I was pretty well set. But my lawyer and my accountant said, you know, you're going to be fine. Just don't screw this up. You can't miss. <laughs> That's a tall order for a drunk yeah. whose job is to screw things up. <laughs> and so. So, uh, so in other words, alcohol was a relief from the way you felt most of the time. And, and so you took solace in that. I did. I took a lot of solace in it. And, you know, and you get to this. It sounds funny, but it's like heroin addicts and alcoholics have something very, very much in common, which is that you can reach what we call it. What, what heroin addicts call the nod, which is where you're just like 
in the world, but not of the world. And that's a very peaceful place. And that's about the only peace I knew at the time. Because my, it wasn't that my life was that terrible. It was just that my thoughts were that terrible. My thoughts were telling me. Thoughts. Kind of, kind of tormenting you. Yeah. Because yeah. I had been a successful guy. I had lost all that due to my alcoholism. And, and just natural ignorance. And so I, I lost all that. And now the next thing you knew, I mean, I'm, I'm looking for jobs for eight bucks an hour. <laughs> That's a wake up call. Yeah. <clears throat> got, got to work an hour just to buy a six pack. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it. So you, and, and, you know, I'd hit such a low that that was just unbearable for me. What I didn't know was that it would be, wouldn't be long before I'd look back at all that with, in, with fond <laughs> reminiscent, you know, of, of like or the vacation my life was just a few months ago because I ended up drinking myself out of all of that too. So I, I just drank myself out of everything, my health, my dignity, um, my credit, my car, my home, my wife, my whole family back here. I drank my way out of er, absolutely everything. And I ended up homeless again. And I, I love to tell this story, so don't let me miss it on your show, which is that, you know, is that I've, anybody can end up homeless. There's no, no, no shame in that. I mean, you can get sick, you can lose a job, you can have medical bills, whatever. Anybody end up homeless. And, uh, and, you know, in today's world, you could end up homeless twice even, perhaps. Mm -hmm. you know? But I've been homeless nine times. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that's not, that's not bad luck. That's actually incredible skill. And homeless means like sleeping on park benches and stuff, yeah, right? right yeah, right, exactly. I mean, homeless, there aren't necessarily shelters you can always go to. Well, you know, and you don't always want to go to a shelter. They won't let you drink in there. So, uh -huh. you see, so that's one of the drawbacks. Mm. And uh, plus, you're in there with all these losers, and I personally was still a winner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like Charlie Look at Sheen. these people. They've screwed up their lives. Like Charlie Sheen, yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's right. Winning. These people are screwing up, but I'm in good shape. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> so I ended up homeless again after all that, and this is a couple of years, probably three or four years after the big glimpse and all of that. So, and I, which I never got out of my head. It just drove me crazy, but I could never get out of my head that something had happened. I got where I didn't wasn't real clear on what it was. I knew I would been part of God or something, but I couldn't quite get my arms around it. And so I ended up homeless in the park, and I realized at some point, you know what? Uh, you know, I think you may have a drinking problem. I've been an AA off and on for 15 years, probably. <laughs> but it just dawned on me that I was a back in homelessness, and it, I, I flashed back that 16 years before I had been in the desert of Arizona in just such a situation where I was fixing to die. And I thought, damn, this thing looks like a habit, doesn't it? And uh, because that's it. I just had great skill at giving my stuff up. I mean, I overcame every advantage I ever had. And uh, so, so so, I got sober in 2000. In 2000, I came back to South Carolina, and I looked around, and I went, you know, there is actually, uh, you're gonna, if you don't, you don't get sober now, you're going to go back to the park, because I'd managed to get out of the park. I was very, very good at getting myself out of the ditch that drunkenness landed me in. And as a result of that, I thought I was very clever. I had never recognized that the skill to have was to not go in the ditch. <laughs> that that the, the ability to get yourself out of the ditch over and over again is, is kind of a dubious ability. So 
when I got sober, I threw myself into um, the 12 step community for very, very seriously for, and did nothing else because I knew that Zen would screw me up. I just knew it that I would get, I would get smart with Zen and be able to spot what was wrong with AA. Sorry about that. AA. The, um, and, um, and that I would, uh, you know, that I would just screw it up, that, that I would get drunk. And so I put all of that in the background for, I decided for a year, but man, about the time that year birthday came up, here came the Zen books. I'm back into bookstores, Buddhism. The difference was that now I wasn't drunk. So now there was actually the opportunity to pursue this thing. And oh my God, I really began to pursue my true nature. My true nature began to pursue my true nature and um, looking for itself. But I didn't have enough. I worked the steps, and it just wasn't quite enough. It wasn't quite low enough for me. I had been, because I started becoming quite egoic again now, because I was the AA guy who had all the answers. Uh, I didn't have all the answers to to Zen and all of that, but I had but AA and all that. I had all that figured out. So what happened was that, is that I went out and did all of my amends, all of my AA amends. And I actually did that in the first... Um, I did that in the first six months or so of my sobriety. Meaning apologizing to people that you'd messed with. That's right. Which yeah. I, which was a hell of a you know a list because mm-hmm. I had just been a rascal and a ne'er do well for since um, you know since well I started drinking when I was twelve but I and that's probably around the time that that the my, just what happened was that around twelve the insanity broke out and mm-hmm. I and the simultaneously I found a temporary cure for it which was alcohol. <laughs> so at any rate. I went out and made all my amends, and you know, there's nothing in the book that says that just because we've made amends, that we, that other people have to accept them. And so I had some, I had some wounds that I went and ripped the Band-Aid off of because I'm, you know, hell, I'm on fire with this thing. Hey, hey, I'm trying to get sober. I'm so sorry I screwed with you, but you know, it was a long time ago, blah, blah, blah. So I hit a couple of people who were not actually happy for me in my new sobriety. And so they pressed charges, and 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 I ended up uh, ended up going to uh, well, I lived in hell for two and a half years, waiting for my my hearing to come up, and a uh, wonderful lawyer, and uh, but and I kept trying during that time to wake up. Really, I mean, just religiously, I was I jumped bumped into Eckhart Tolle, and. Um, I listened to him, and you're going to have to hear this correctly to know that what I'm telling you is so. I listened to Eckhart for 12, 14, 16 hours a day for probably six months. I was in the book business, as a, and, I, and I just went out and I bought everything that I could get on Eckhart. And I was working, um, working all the time, seven days a week. I was, I was traveling, going everywhere to find books that I could sell online for a dollar more than I paid for them. So in the car, I had Eckhart because my mind was driving me crazy. So I had to have somebody else's mind inside my head. I couldn't live with mine, so I took Eckhart's and put it in my head. I listened to him in, in, the, in the car, and then I listened to him um, uh, upstairs, up, up here where I am now in my little office, I listened to every CD that I, you could, Eckhart Tolle, when I first started listening to him, you couldn't even buy his book in my town. 
I mean, he was nobody, but I, he was becoming somebody's thing. And uh, you must have listened to a lot of stuff many times over because yes. he didn't. Yeah. That's, oh yeah, I had a, I had about a hundred hours to the a, point of practically memorizing it. <laughs> I did. I had about a hundred and twenty hours or so of him, or hundred and ten, hundred and twenty hours of his recorded stuff, which is the same. Actually, what I had was I had about two hours of Eckhart recorded about 52 different ways. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> he says the same thing. Over and over and over. All right. But I didn't care. You know, repetition's the mother of clarity. But all I just, I just wanted his soothing little baritone in the background. It was the one thing I could stand. And so, um, so upstairs I had one of these things playing, and downstairs, in my, and this is a 750-square-foot apartment, and downstairs... I had the power of now playing on my little Bose radio as as if I was awake. So, I mean, in other words, I'm talking about if I'm physically awake. If I was not sleeping, I was listening to Eckhart first thing in the morning because the Fred movie would start up and it'd be, God, I can't listen to that. So up here, I was listening to one thing on Eckhart. Downstairs, I was listening to another, and in the car, I had yet another. And I was driving a lot. So it's, Two and a half years, my my uh, my trial came up. I had reached a point of relative surrender, thanks to Eckhart. You know what? Just what you were talking about with that. Look, what's in this book? What's in this book? Just before my trial, I was absolutely just absolutely climbing the walls. What crime were you on trial for, by the way? The um, oh man, it's just 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 awful stuff. <laughs> uh, from a long time ago, and it's not particularly relevant, so we'll, okay. we'll, we'll not go there. You can't embarrass so, you, can I? Right, yeah, exactly. I want to see you so, blush. <laughs> I don't think I'll blush for this, but, it's, but it doesn't mean I'm going to brag about him. All right. So, yeah, we've all done some things. <laughs> <laughs> a little mystery. So at any rate, right before I went to prison, or right before I went to jail, right before I went to my trial, I'm sitting there thinking I'm going to go to prison or something like this, and I was just like, just going nuts, and I was looking at the power now, and I thought, boy, I wonder what it would be like if I actually did some of this stuff in this book. Even after a gazillion hours of listening. Yes, right. right. I wonder if I actually did some of that stuff, if it would make a difference. Because I was just using him like Valium. You know? <laughs> and so uh, there was a part in there about surrender, about ex just acceptance, surrender, whatever. And I sat down, and I started doing that changed my life. I mean, I got free for like 24 hours. First time in two and a half years. How do you do surrender? Well, I don't know how you do surrender, but in the way in that book, what they actually do, they just you just move toward it. In other words, I had all this tremendous fear that those that everything had been, I'd been mm. keeping at bay for two and a half years. So you just kind of relaxed and, and went you into know, yeah. Just let it take me over. And right. The first time I had a break for 24 hours, the next morning it was back. I took and, I, and I, instead of saying, well, that didn't work, I knew that I had been free for 24 hours. So uh, that was great. I wanted to have, see if I could get another 24 hours. And I was outside watering my um, lawn, and I sat down on a bench. I had a park bench out there, which was always the big joke. Just so you'd feel at home, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh, so I sat down on that bench, and I relaxed into that again. And I had my eyes closed, and I was listening you know, doing that state of just alertness. And all of a sudden I heard a noise and I looked up and a flower pot right in front of me that was a double flower pot. It's been standing there for weeks behind my rose bushes. And 
it just it was just sitting right in front and it collapsed over to the left just like this spontaneously collapsed and it was like wonder what that could be from and i felt like it was must be from some kind of release but you know i was really excited about that but i closed my eyes because i hadn't been finished and when I closed my eyes, I'm doing this, and there was another flower pot on the other side of the rose bushes, and it collapsed inward the other way. So they hit each other like this. Interesting. It and was they're completely unconnected to each other and all. Completely they just unconnected, left. and they've been both standing there for weeks. Wow. So it's just that one of those kind of reminds me of Carlos Castaneda stuff where certain things would happen in the environment, and Don Juan would say, that's an omen, you know. And I knew it was. I mean, I knew, okay, that, and that, just so you know, it's been, what, uh, almost eight years, since, or seven and a half years since then, and I've never had that fear come back. It went away that day right there, but I still wasn't awake. I was I've just, also, uh, just to thing. say, I've also been on long meditation courses where people are doing, like, really intense meditation, and, and things would happen, like glasses would explode, and door, you know, glass doors would cr yeah. cr crumble, and, right. and all, all sorts of strange things in the environment would happen. Yeah. Sure, because it's just one thing going on. And you can't adjust something and, you know, you can't adjust one part and not have it affect the rest. So, and some of it, you know, they're set up in one little situation and doing great. A nice glass, been there for years. <laughs> Suddenly, it's there's a radical shift. I mean, whether it's me or a singer hitting perfect pitch, bam, the glass just goes. Yeah. So, I, I bring it up just because I love that story. And I, I, I've got, just like you i got a zillion spiritual experiences, but that one ties in because it was the beginning of my actually going back and doing stuff. Because I, when I was in Portland, I was doing stuff. I was practicing. I was sitting. I was inquiring. I was, you know, doing whatever I could under self-direction. And when I was back here, I had just been using, been using spirituality as a value. And it doesn't mean that I hadn't picked up a lot of wonderful contexts. I had. I had. It was very beneficial, you know. But it gave me a lot of, of uh, egoic, um, a really great egoic stance, which was that I'm I'm getting enlightened, and and you're not. And <laughs> and and therefore, I'm better than you are. But if you want to come be my, you know, sit at my feet or something, I'll share with you what I've got, even though it's not much. I didn't know it wasn't much. So what I got from my wickedness was I got six months of weekends in jail, and I got probation, and it was just awful. I mean, you know, I, it, was, it was this was I've been sober now for five and a half, six years, six and a half years, and I just made my way back to a point of relative comfort in the world, and you know, and then bam, this had knocked me back in in the ditch, which I was comfortable with being in a ditch. That's kind of cool that you just had to go on weekends, though, you know. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, I, I don't see the thing is that years before it wasn't like I. I mean, I'd already changed my whole life for, for six and a half years, and the the judge said, "Well, you're doing a lot of good in the community, and <laughs> we don't want to we don't want to stop that. So go to jail on the weekends and come back and run your life in between." And but it was tough because I was already working all the time, and now I was. I mean, I was, I was the busiest guy I knew working seven days a week, and now I got to to truncate that into five days a week. And, I mean, it got so, I was so busy and, and getting almost no sleep that really I used to tell my wife, I'd say, God, if I can just get, I'll, I'll be okay if I can just get to jail, you know? <laughs> <laughs> kind of reminds me of My Cousin Vinny. Did you ever see that movie, My Cousin Vinny? Oh, it's fantastic. You got to watch it. Joe Pesci. But uh, I won't go into the details, but the only, the only place he ever got any rest was when he finally got put in prison and he slept like a baby.
that's it. And so it was, yes, it's identical to that. I mean, yeah. the, the, I mean, it was just like, I mean, it would just be the, but oh, I would go in there and I would relax. But the um, check out that movie later. I'll do. I'll definitely check it out. But that only lasted for about six weeks. That part of it because what happened was that my life was had become so awful. It looked like my prospects were were very dim. My current experience was just awful under this very strict probation and going to the jail and all, and I just wanted to die. And so and I and I, so right after I went to probation, I came back and I told Betsy, my then girlfriend, now wife, that who must um, be a very patient woman, by the way. Oh my God! Yeah, just <laughs> just just absolutely wonderful. I met her in recovery. Uh, instead of listening to the recovery people, I was passing girls' notes. And, and the, the uh, actually, just passing her notes. It's the only note passed. But I, I love to keep up the threat that I might pass another one. So. <laughs> so be nice to me. But she's wonderful. And I told her, you know, look, I just can't, I can't live like this. This is, so, this is my mind. Because my circumstances actually are not greatly different now. Except for the fact that I'm a teacher, whatever that means. The, uh, but... What happened was I just really wanted to die, and I asked her. My my wife's business partner had shot himself in 2002, killed himself, and I was I had to I helped her clean up the detritus of of that kind of event, and I couldn't do that to her again. But I wanted to die. I mean, I literally wanted to die. So I asked her if she would give me her blessing, and this was not a cry for help. I, really, it was not. I just didn't want to surprise her with a suicide. She asked me to please continue, give it a shot. So what happened, Rick, was that about six weeks in, I mean, I re- so for about six weeks now, I had been wanting to die. But I, I noticed that I, that I wanted to die, that I, didn't, I couldn't, felt like I could not live, but now I also felt like I could not die. So you kind of lose interest in the Fred story that's the glue for all that. And about six weeks in, I was sitting in my living room reading a book, and the author asked a question, and Ramesh Balsakar, and uh, he asked a question or whatever, and when he did, something in my brain, I mean, I felt something in my head, not in my brain, but in my head, something about the size of a BB, I could feel it very distinct, very distinctly, turned 180 degrees in my head. Just, it just felt completely physical. Turned 180 degrees in my head, and I could, and I could feel it lock. I could almost, it was almost like I, I could hear it lock. I couldn't, but there was, it locked so distinctly that it was like I could hear it. And the instant that it did, you know, my head exploded. <laughs> and I had one of those, you know, fairy tale awakenings that I'm just so sorry in a way that I had because it's what I have to report. But while I, so let me jump in really quickly and say that those are not necessary. The reason that those, that we read about those things in books is because they are unusual. But as you know, they don't, there's none of that's required. It may, it may, uh-huh. may or may not happen. Usually people who've been on a spiritual path for decades have had incidents, you know, episodes like that. But, but the vast majority of the time is, is fairly normal and you know, right. not, not, no fireworks going on. Yeah. Because it's yeah. just actually just a spiritual experience that's accompanying awakening. Awakening. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's 
the difference between the vehicle and the package and what we tend to put our eyes on is the vehicle forget about yeah. the package. and i think that experience with your head is significant actually because i think there is a physiological component to all this but we don't have to go into all that right now but there there are things that do change in the brain and in in the subtle body you know with the chakras and all that stuff there's all kinds of stuff going on just one thing going on Can't yeah that one part without it affecting others that's right um so of course when i woke up I mean, I, you know, you always think you've got the whole thing. I mean, that's what I so, thought. So, so that was the episode which you would characterize as I woke up. Yeah, I mean, I was instantly seen. Oh, because I, the way I like to tell it in, when I'm talking to clients is that I'm, you know, I was Fred Davis. I was sitting in Fred Davis's living room in Fred Davis's chair reading Fred Davis's book, trying to wake Fred Davis up and determined to do so. And then awakening occurred and I went, ah, look at that. I'm not Fred Davis after all, you know, because... Fred Davis had been waiting to, uh, had expected to wake up to the truth of God. And what happened was that the truth of God woke up to the fiction of Fred Davis. <laughs> and so many, many things collapsed. And what I noticed was I still had these problems. Because I mean, I've been really hoping I was going to be the exception, regardless of what I'd read. I knew if I woke up, that that really actually would solve all my problems. <laughs> and I noticed that it didn't, but I did notice that the problems were Fred's. <laughs> Which gave me some breathing room. I mean, it just saved my life. I mean, the, just in the save this, you know, just it, uh, certainly took me out of that intense suffering. Oh, it took me out of all suffering there for a little while. But enough ego built back up in, you know, fairly quick order. And I mean, I, I was never the same after that. Like you can't unsee something like that. But there was still, you know, a lot of, there was still a lot of, I mean, I, I had to do some reseeking. I had to do a lot of stuff. But that was the, that was the real deal breaker. That was for me. And it was very, very clear, and it lasted for several days in, in real clarity and then several weeks in, moderate clarity and then you know what the hell happened to that you know where'd my enlightenment go well you integrated it yeah so and i did immediately because what my experience at jail completely changed all of a sudden i became and you know it makes it sound like i was i was shining a ray or something like that and they could see it and so it was all there and it's not like that's what i'd been hoping i had hoping when i woke up that there would be a little billboard up here they would say, this guy's awake, because then all you guys would start treating me the way I thought you should have been treating me all along. But what happened was that I started to take an interest in my jailers and started talking to them. And in very short order, when I got to the gate, they would say, and I would get to the gate, and I would talk to the gate, the guard at the gate, because I had to check myself, talk about surrender check yourself in 23 weekends in a row to to a, to a jail. And I would talk to the, to the guy at the gate about my uh, my garden. About I had these great big elephant ears, and we would talk about those and this and that and the other. And it finally got to where I would show up, and he would say, hey, you know where you're going, don't you? And I'd say, yep. And so I would just walk across the yard by myself. 
And as I approached the jail, you could see the woman who would book to me every week, because they book, rebooked you every week. You could see her starting to wave at me, you know. There's Mr. Davis. Mr. Davis is here. <laughs> and and I got in, and I would go in, and the same guy that frisked me, like, you know, in a in a not very friendly manner, the first time that I ever got there. Um, he now works for the TSA, by the way. Yeah, yeah right, exactly. <laughs> that's right. You know, it got to be, it turned out that he had a little eBay business. And so oh. I started talking to him about his business. And we would talk from, I mean, as soon as I got there, I would sit down and say, hey, Mr. Davis, would you like a sandwich or something to drink? <laughs> I say, yeah, believe I would. And because I didn't want to turn anything down, I wanted him to feel good about bringing me something while I was hungry or not. Yeah. Now it's starting to sound like the Shawshank Redemption, where uh, Tim, what's his name, was yeah, a, you know, doing the bookkeeping. And <laughs> that's right. That's right. It became much like that. I mean, it was yeah. a bizarre sort of way. So that guy became my, I became his confidant, and he might keep me there in the entrance hall if nobody else showed up for an hour. We would be talking about, you know, his eBay thing and how he could tweak that because I was a bookseller, been one for years, and so we went around and the. Um, I went to the uh, when the next station was the booking station and there was that woman that she just loved me and she knew that I was working with people in recovery and speaking out at the, the treatment center and all that kind of stuff and so she had you know no lack of drug addicts and alcoholics in her wider circle and so she would she would talk to me about all that and just just loved me and I would go from there, and then when you got through processing there, you had to go to the nurse, because I went out and did work to cut my time in half, and you had to make sure you were physically able. And it turned out that the nurse was a closet lesbian, and she had to tell me about that. And hell, she had a little eBay business. And so <laughs> I became her deep confidant, and she, I would go in there, and she would tell me lesbian jokes, and then we would talk about her business. And I would stay in the nurse's thing. I mean, people outside standing in line tried to get in. I'd be in there for an hour. And, uh, I mean, it was all I could do to get to my cell. <laughs> <laughs> and when I got to my cell, the guys, I mean, this, I'm just telling you the absolute God's truth, and I'll tell you how I did it, but, I mean, they were bringing me slippers and, and, my, and my books. You couldn't have, people on weekenders were trashed there because we got out five days a week. And you couldn't get canteen, you couldn't have you couldn't have possessions, you couldn't have any of that unless you rigged it, which I did. So I had I, I was a bookseller. I mailed myself books to through one of the other inmates and stuff. You know, do I better be careful to come arrest me again, but yeah. I'll deny it if they do. So it completely changed my jail experience. And when I was out and I was in a lot of physical pain, I had sciatica. And the guards that had been so tough at first, and I just hated them so much, and they were, man, they started, when I changed, they did. But I changed first. And when I changed, they began to let me ride in the truck some to get my legs some relief. It was just terrible pain. And um, the, when I left there, I'll just to give you that idea, I mean, the, the... Interesting little point here, though. I mean, you want to change the world? Change yourself. That's it. That's 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 you know I want to say the the Buddhist the Buddha went after himself first, you know, and that's which is not to say we shouldn't go out and help the world in various ways, but you know it begins here. It begins here. Somebody has to somebody has to start first. 
Yeah. You know, I have a lot of friends in non-duality. Want to save drowning people? You better learn to swim. Yes, that's exactly right. I mean, it really does start at home. And see, that just was one of those things that I'd go, oh, yeah. Like, I got that. Next. Right? I mean, you know, you got any more spiritual truth than that? Because anybody can figure that out. And that's just the kind of guy I was. I just stepped all over wonderful, tremendous spiritual truths for years looking for spiritual truths because that wasn't it. Down you go. That wasn't it. That one. Yeah, I've heard that. Thanks. Oh, God. (laughs) Next. So... At any rate, it changed my jail experience when I got out. But when I, you know, but in that awakening thing, I mean, I really thought when I woke up at first, first time I woke up, I thought, well, I don't think anybody's ever been here before. Maybe Buddha, <laughs> <laughs> right? But I'm not sure he came here. And, and but if so, there's surely not been anybody but Buddha Eckhart, and I'm third in line. <laughs> but. Uh, I got over that with with some time, but it did, you know, I began to develop what little humility I have today. And, <laughs> and, um, and from there on, this, from, from the moment I woke up, really, because my situation was so dire, I wasn't like so many people. I had clients and, I mean, I don't know what in the hell they want to wake up for. I mean, they got a great story going. You know, they got they got a wife, they got kids, they still got their job. They're in great shape, but they're driven by a spiritual pull. Mine just wasn't that that pure. Mine was I just am suffering so much that I got to get at it. I got to get out of this. I've got to find. So I was using my spirituality as a way to pole vault my way out of my life situation. Yeah. I think some of us need a lot of suffering to as a goad, you know. Yeah. But but not everybody needs that. No, not everybody does, which amazes me because I would have never done it. You know, alcoholism was the worst thing in my life until it became the best thing, because if it hadn't been for alcoholism, this wouldn't have happened, and I'd still be the same creep I would have ever I would have always been. I just had to I had to go through tremendous suffering but you know if you put even a piece of coal under enough pressure long enough you'll come up with something pretty and and that's what uh, and that's basically what happened to me was I was just put under uh, of course it, it was like I was put under this unit put itself into so much under so much pressure by just being a ne'er-do-well and a screw-up for so long you know, there's another principle here which may seem esoteric and not everybody believes this, works this way, but I think, you know, sometimes certain people come into this life and they just have a, they kind of sign up for working off a load of karma, you know, and others maybe not, maybe don't have such a load to work off. And so, you know, we, you know, say to the lords of karma, if there are such things, all right, give it to me, lay it all on. I want to get yeah, this over with, it. you know, so I, I can take it. And, and uh, you know, and so then we just go through hell and high water for a certain period of time until we work through that load. And then suddenly, ooh, a ray that, of sunshine. That's right. And so that's exactly, I mean, so obviously I come from quite a black, you know, black line. And, you know, you, you mentioned this, so let me just make one, one point when you mentioned the karma, is that, is that it doesn't, we don't need reincarnation. We have DNA. And, we, and DNA proves that, I mean, I can track this body all the way back to Africa thousands of years ago. So whether we can say, reincarn, you know, because I don't think reincarnation of the personality, which is a one-shot deal, but it's clearly there's something that moves. 
because you can trace this thing back down. So there's something that moves. So that when we, when we just look at it that way, that the concept of karma becomes a, a, a really much more of a acceptable. Yeah. And I don't have a problem with the other way of looking at it either. I mean, uh, you know, a, oh, I don't either. a soul reincarnating and going through various learning experiences over the course of time, you know, whatever. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I know there's something and that's enough. Once I found out there was something, then I, then I had something to go with. There was something that was crying to be freed, going to be freed, whether this thing liked it or not. You see, this current vehicle, uh, who cares, right? It's just, it's a passing thing anyway. I got some stuff I need to get clear of. And man, it did. So I continued to to still to teach for several years in recovery um, with people. I was began to teach non-duality in using recovery terms so that it was more acceptable. But the more awake I got, and and other people have a talent. We know some of them, you and I do. But other people have a talent for being able to be awake and alert and be able to take that to recovery terminology and um, and do great things with it. Sure, like Scott, for instance. Like Scott Killaby. I, however, the more awake that I got, the less I began to be heard. And I had been a real fount of wisdom in AA. I was one of those guys you chased down to get their opinion on something, you know, which was always, I used to always say, you know, boy, you got to be pretty sick if I'm going to be the doctor. And uh, But the good news is you qualify. And I always came, but before the end of it, though, I think that everyone just thought I had lost my mind, I think, because I'd lost the ability to translate. And so on the day that I began my first website, which was Awakening Clarity, in July of 2011, that's when I left recovery official, the, uh, because I said, I can't do this. You know, I had sponsees I had to let go. I had a sponsor I had to dismiss. And, you know, a great friend of mine but then, and I guess he still is, but we just don't talk. But um, I had to, there came a point where I could only be one-pointed, where I had to, for me, it's not for everybody, just for me. I had to declare my allegiance almost. It was like, I'm doing that thing or I'm doing this thing. And I decided to do, or I decided. So it turned out that I did this thing. And so I started that blog, and that changed everything. You know, I'd already had people around me waking up for a, almost a year. But, I mean, people, this was, this was an extraordinary part, because for a long time I wanted to be a teacher, and then I decided, I don't know, I went to see Ajashanti, and I thought, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't think so. I think I'd rather be a bookseller than a teacher. And I came back, and within about a month, people around me started waking up. Would this be a good time to try to define what waking up means, or do you want to keep on with your story right now? We'll no, get into no, that. we can stop. We, and we can drop the story anytime you want. So. No, I want to keep unraveling it, uh, or maybe exactly. we've actually gotten to the end of it more or less. And but um, you know, we we throw around terms like this, waking yes, up, yes, yes, and, yes. and so and it's really important to define our terms. It is. It is important. Important. So what? And my and and what I'm going to do here is, you know, I always I always reserve the right to change my mind. And the uh, whatever I say today is only good for today. Tomorrow I may question it or, or disown it. But, yeah, might, might as well. So, it, at any rate, the, the way that I see awakening now is I've got a couple of terms that I want to float. 
one would be awakening and the other would be liberation, which I have in the past used interchangeably, but I see now that that that's just a limited understanding at that moment, or it wasn't really thoughtful, or I wasn't being thoughtful about the language. And I'm really big on precise language, very, very big on that. That's one of the reasons what I do works as well as it does. Awakening is when we first, is what happened to me in my living room. Awakening is when we first come to know our true nature. It's when, it's when the, 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 the humanness, the, the character that's coming, that's being played by this humanness is seen through. You know, we don't, doesn't mean we got to get rid of it or dislike it or anything like that. Doesn't mean it's bad. We just see through it. Again, what we do is, is that the, and when I say we, of course, what I'm talking about is the fact that y'all ex- excuse the shorthand, all you non-dualists, but God wakes up to the truth of itself, and 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 so it's not actually there's no there's no personal thing going on. Just God wakes up and sees itself, and it's but it's still seeing itself in some regard through this. You know, and but but all of this is seen to be hollow and, and all that, and that's that, that's the initial experience, and that may last. Like, my experience in Portland was seconds, and it changed my life. Um, didn't fix me. So another way of saying seen through would it be to say that you no longer are kind of exclusively gripped by the notion that you know this is what you are. There there's sort of a a, a glimpse into a we could say a deeper reality which is that you know you are so, you're something much more kind of fundamental or or vast or on you know you're no longer exclusively overshadowed um, yes exclusively or, in, is, or, or entirely overshadowed yeah exclusively is a good word in the sense that is that um because what i've found out now is that i'm just simply not limited to this I'm the whole thing, so I You're can't... You're still Fred. If somebody says, hey, Fred, you turn your head. And say, I always hey, tell hey, people... Hey, you how you doing? Romano uh, Maharshi would have done the same. Yeah. And it was just be a matter of convenience. But, but you're not only Fred. Yeah, right. That's it. Because, you know, what mine does, I love to use this yin-yang. I do use it in, um, in teaching a lot. It's the, it's the best teacher on the planet, and it's never said a word. <laughs> Which may... There may be something in that for us. But what the mind wants to know is it when we've... Because I was Fred Davis sitting in my chair, I woke up, and oh my God, I'm not Fred Davis. I moved 180 degrees in the circle. And this was wonderful. It was so freeing to be the vastness. And to look and see, oh, I see, well, there's a Fred Davis story, and there's a lot of suffering in that, but that's not me, and da-da-da-da-da-da. And it was a great place for me to live for a while. Because, but you'll notice that all I did was move from being Fred to being not Fred. I didn't actually lose identity. I just transferred it. I transferred it from this to the vastness, which was because now I could see very clearly that I'm the vastness. But the, the, the problem is, is that after a period of time is that suffering began again. It was just coming from a little higher level. And, uh, and so what I came to realize since is that the mind wants the either or. Am I this or that? Am I this or that? But truth never works like that. Spiritual truth never works like that. It always it means it's the whole thing. There's just one thing going on, which means I gotta be both. I gotta be both. Um, and that took some time. 
you know, because see this thing, we spend, oh, and there's no time, there's no space. Oh, I get it. I get it, I promise you. But this lives in space and time. And so this, it, but on this level, on the relative level, it does take time. And, it, and, and for me, it took work. I know it did for you too. I'm still a work in progress. Me too. You know, I, I love the, what, what you... Very much so. What you said earlier, when you said, if I ask somebody if they're awake, it's like asking if they're educated. And I love that, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I'm, yeah, out, of, yeah. And I'm out of grammar school now, you know? <laughs> I thought of another uh, metaphor when I was listening to you this past week. It's like, you know, somebody who's just passed boot camp can call himself a soldier. That's right. But uh, so can a four-star general. You know, but there's a vast difference between a four-star general and a, and a buck private in terms of their knowledge, their authority, their power, their That's all right. kinds of things. You know, and so fine if we want to say awake is we, we want to define it as having glimpsed your true nature. That's it. That's great, it. great, yeah. But still, there's this vast range of <laughs> right. So there is because the opening never ends. That's the key. See, I thought I just came from the, I taught myself or somebody, you know, I picked it up in books or whatever. My idea was, as as it is for many people now, I can promise you that because I talk to them every day, is that enlightenment is is a one shot deal. They read something famous like like Eckhart Tolle's story or something. And boy, I just it came out of nowhere and, it, and boom. And I was just like this talking on the stage to you now. And that's bullshit. I mean, he had to go sit and park for a long time and get oriented to this thing yeah and i bet you if, if i ever get a chance to interview record the main, one of the main things i'd want to talk to him about would be you know how is it unfolding for you even now i mean yes. you know, i mean That's i bet funny. i bet you that today there's some greater richness or something than there was a year ago oh uh, yeah, and I'm talking if if I were talking Eckert, and you know, in yes. a year from now, even yes. more. Yes, yes, because I yes. think that's interesting. I think yes. it's good to know that or acknowledge yeah, it, that. I think I, I I agree with you completely, and it's a so that um, Greg Good, you know, talked. To, he was the one that really helped me with that more than um, a, a great deal. I mean, I, I, let me just let me say their names right quick so that I get them out there and say thank you on air. Which is my teachers really were Scott Killaby, Greg Good, and Rupert Spira. And all three of them were once I see I had to first I had to first lower myself to accepting a teacher, and I didn't actually do that for until I had been uh, awake for like three and a half years or something like that. But all of them were very helpful in helping me see that this thing opens forever. What I used to do with Greg, what a generous, beautiful man. Um, I used to. Because he and I, I've never talked to Greg in person. I've never talked to him on Skype. We've only emailed, but we've emailed hundreds of times. And what I used to do with Greg was I would just come up with my very high seeing, and I would send that to Greg. And he would just tear it apart, just destroy it, and send it back. Oh, <laughs> I feel like this. And then a couple of weeks later, I'd, you know, I'd know something new now. And, and so, because that was the unfolding was continuing to happen. So I would put all that back now. I'd say, I think this is it. And he would destroy it, and um, and I. But I kept doing that and doing that. And what the funny thing is is that is that I began to make more and more sense, if you will. Is that it be I began to get clearer and clearer because he helped me see what wasn't true. Yeah. Now you know some of the non-dualists don't like this kind of talk because 
it implies you know it implies that there are levels and gradations oh, yeah. and all all that sounds so dual you know <laughs> I, know, I, know, I, know. I know i know but you know i would suggest that if that's their gripe then their non-duality is probably largely conceptual because if you're really tuned into the experiential quality of it you just find that there's this continual unfolding you know conceptual non-duality is not a door to freedom it's a straitjacket because i wore it for some time and it's and that's when we've got that thing on it's like well wait a minute um i shouldn't be feeling this because you know because a, a white person wouldn't be feeling this and, right and this, if there's only only one thing how could there be this and, that's right i'm sorry know. that your wife just died but she was never here so don't yeah. worry about it, you know <laughs> I mean, and you know the the the, we, the way you can spot the people who sort of are oriented that way is they tend to be a bit strident and fundamentalist in their in their approach. You know, I get emails and, from in, in chat groups and stuff. Yeah, right. Emails. I do. There's, I mean, like, I, like, I Ed Vita have, police. You know. You know, once once in a while I get an email that, and I, I remember one that just opened up. The first line was, "You are full of shit." <laughs> but of course, there's only. You know one thing, and so you know what that shit really is. You know? Yeah, but you, know, you don't know what you're talking about, but I do. <laughs> so it's just the the Fred of ten years ago coming back to haunt you. <laughs> That's it. That's exactly it. Yeah. The um, and uh, and I've you know once in a while I get those because I'm very adamant about the fact that there is stuff you can do, and I, once again I say one thing one day and I say one thing another, and it doesn't make any difference. I'm always talking about right now, and I'm always talking to whoever I'm talking to, and nobody else. Yeah. Well, you know, another puzzling thing, or not puzzling, but another par paradoxical thing about it is that even though there is stuff you can do, uh, there is there is nothing you can do, and, there, and, and nobody's doing anything. I mean, you know, my general experience is that there's nobody here, and nothing's actually well, happening. That's right. But, that's but, I'm but I'm here, and all kinds of stuff is happening. Nonetheless. Very, very same time. Yeah, it, because here we're again, and people listening there to this who have not yet had the we had a non-dual experience, if you will, what's happening is the mind is going, well, well, wait just a minute. I mean, is it like this or is it like this? Is it like this or is it like that? Would you just spit it out? Would these guys just won't tell me the damn truth? Because once again, we're back in the mind's territory, which is the either or. If we can describe something with a yin-yang, we are talking about the dream. It can be, this is, that is the, this is the fundamental, this is the basic, the basis of the dream, which is the either or, which is the, the two polar opposites. So is it this way or this way? It's both. It's both. There's no one here. There's nothing to do. And try this. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I find really helpful is, uh, just a layman's understanding of physics. And I'm going to interview a couple of physicists next month because the physicists will tell you, and I, I mean, the, there's a hand here and it's, it's flesh and then there's molecules and then there's, uh, uh, and then on, there's atoms. And on the atom level, there are no molecules and then there's some atomic particles and on that level, there are no atoms. And then there, you go even deeper and there's none, none of that even exists or has manifested. And the whole range is simultaneously true, just sort of each reality on its own level. And that's identical, of course, to what I'm talking about. With because what's happening is that we're even worse than not having had seen, have, not having seen the non-dual state is to have seen it, and then it goes away. And now I know, now I know because I remember that there's just one thing. I've seen it very clearly, and so none of this stuff counts because that we've what we've done is we've had a glimpse there. We've seen it's what you're saying is true as far as it goes, but it doesn't go far enough. So. What happens when we wake, when we have that awakening, 
is, is initial awakening, which is, which as opposed to liberation, which is what we're moving toward, <laughs> if you will. So, so when we have that awakening, it, it is seen from the non-dual state, no one here, nothing to do, everything's fine as it is, because there's not really anything happening anyway. So there's this, but, and, but we notice that on the relative view, there is stuff going on, there is somebody here, there is a doer, whatever, and the mind again is, which is it, which is it, which is it, which is it? It's both. So that, so we're not, what we've got a foot in each world. That's what I would describe this is a foot in each world. And we're, so we're living that simultaneously, but the mind is always looking for the one way to be. And it doesn't really work like that. I was just, uh, just spent the last few days with Amma, the hugging saint, and uh, someone asked her a question about um, how do you reconcile detachment and compassion? Because it seems like they're kind of counter, they're, they're kind of paradoxically opposed. And she said, if you're really detached to the fullest extent that can be, then you're also infinitely compassionate because you know you you see everything as god and and so you know you have just sort of the infinite uh, love and appreciation for every little t particle of creation and, and she kind of used examples of like if your finger accidentally pokes your eye or something you don't punish your finger you you know it's it's part of you and so everything is part of you when that kind of realization has dawned and and there can't possibly be any kind of coldness or like mother Teresa used to talk about the fact that you know she's i'm not i'm not actually helping all these people i'm helping jesus and yeah yeah exactly Everything she saw, that's that's what she saw, and 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 and, and I. That's not. It's not just a belief, you know. I mean, that that's a. It's a, a living experience. I can. Uh, one of the I put people through kind of little tests when we're done with a session, and one of the things that I'll I'll ask them is I'll say, so have you ever, and so have you ever heard anyone say that they woke up and everywhere they looked, they saw the face of God. And they'll say, "Yep, I won't. here it is." You know, <laughs> and I, I don't know what I was when I used to read that. It was like, "Well, that's really going to be cool." I guess it's going to be like a a million little masks or TV monitors or something. Hey, Fred, I'm God from up here, and you know, <laughs> it's infinitely simpler. Nice. So I've been th I've been throwing in a little bit too many questions, maybe, and throwing you off your your game oh, in terms no, no, of. No, you're doing great. Okay, well, um, so uh, where should we go from here? You were kind of oh, you, want, you want to track up my life? Yeah, let's keep just, tracking. Just, and we'll, just as a background thing for us to jump on as the bus moves. Sure. So, the, so in 2011, I started a, a Awakening Clarity. And I didn't, I mean, I, the funny thing is, is I say I started Awakening Clarity. Awakening Clarity started itself in July of 2011. And the way that that happened was that I sat down at this desk to uh, the one that monitors on. I sat down at this desk and to um, to do some work on my book business, my online book business. And it was at 9 o'clock at night. And that was what I came in the room to do as far as I knew. And I sat down, and I guess something else grabbed my attention. And I stood up seven hours later. I don't even know if I'd gone to the bathroom. Seven hours later, and I had a blog. And I didn't, I didn't know any, I wasn't, I didn't know, have any idea about a blog. I had no idea how to run one. How to, I didn't know how to set one up. Nothing. I found out everything that I needed to know to get started on that one night. And when I did that, I had no idea what I had done. You know, because up until now, I had sort of been, you know, the awake guy in his living room. 
because I had woken up a few people that had never, when I say I woke up people, let me just be very clear on that. That's shorthand for the fact that I helped some people come to recognition of their own true nature. But I didn't need to wake them up. I can't wake anybody up. It's not something that I can do to somebody. I can just help somebody that already wants to wake up very much. I can help them wake up. So that's what I mean when I say I woke somebody up. You're a catalyst. The, uh, I'm a catalyst. You that's know what a catalyst does in a chemical reaction. It, it sort of just facilitates the reaction. without. Facilitates the reaction. Yeah. That's right. If I've got 51% cooperation, I'm a pretty damn effective catalyst. If I don't have that, that person doesn't want to wake up more than they want to stay asleep, I ain't going to be able to do nothing. And that happens once in a while, not often. So the, I had been, I mean, I had, guys that I, there were a couple of guys in recovery with me, and I'm talking about these are not non-dual folks. I mean, the, these are like Christian folks, right? I mean, who were just, uh, not that you can't be both, but I'm just saying that they were traditional Christians. One of them was really Actually, they both fairly died in the wool, but one of them was not active and one of them was. But they had never heard the word non-duality. And while we were talking and I started doing this... Unless they happen to read I and my father are one. Yeah, then, yeah right, 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 right. Then they've heard it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But so the um, I am that I am or any of that stuff, but they had not knowingly come across these teachings and... I took them through a little bits of inquiry. The first guy was a total surprise. I knew what I was doing, but I had no idea he would actually wake up. I was just actually, I was taking him through some inquiry, but I was just playing with him more than anything else, sitting in my living room. And this guy weighed about 350 or certainly was better than 300, six, five or so. I don't know. Huge guy in my little, little tiny living room. And he woke up like, like with an exploding mountain. I mean, it was just... So, and I went, and there was some egoic pleasure in that. Let me just tell you. I mean, there just was. It was like, it was a lot of egoic pleasure in it at that time. It was like, wow, because screw him and his awakening. Look what I did, right? <laughs> <laughs> and it stayed that way for a little while. I was, I was taken aback because I've been a fraud all my life. You know, just been an alcoholic. You can't live an alcoholic life and not be a fraud because you've got a secret life you're covering up. So I've been a fraud all my life, and I had, and I, and and as a spiritual, when I woke up, and even I questioned my waking up, you know, at, at times and everything. And but then when I became okay, this is you, you, you know, this is real, and da 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 da. da but I still had not actually thought, given any thought to the fact that I was going to wake anybody else up. I figured I could give them pointers, but it never dawned on me that anybody else would wake up due to this catalyst. And this guy clearly did. And then about two months later, I had another guy in the front yard. And uh, this time I did it deliberately. I knew what I was trying to do. And he woke up. And You're just standing there in the front yard? Yeah. We're standing there in the front yard talking. And, um, but we, and then we moved to chairs, I remember now. But we moved to chairs. But we talked for a long time. He had come to me as, as, a, as a recovery sponsor, you see. And... Um, but the next thing I knew, he woke up. I mean, very clearly, very clearly, and uh, and just really clearly. But it, it in neither case, I mean, both of them have been changed forever. But actually, neither one of them got fixed. Neither one of them stayed sober forever. That is not. There's no. There's no 
happy ending to all of that stuff. But I do think it's been helpful to them. But I still had not recognized what I was doing. When I started Awakening Clarity, I did know what I was doing. Okay, I'm, it, it, when people started waking up, it was the first time I took myself seriously in the sense of, God, you know, you could be teacher material. I mean, all my, because it's funny, it was, you know, m most of the fantasies I had about being a spiritual teacher occurred prior to waking up. <laughs> and even though there was some egoic pleasure in helping other people and look what I can do, there was still, I was, there was an opening or beginning to pay attention to the fact that something real might be taking place here, even though I was a fraud. And, and it became, I became willing, this is huge, it sounds insignificant, but for me it was huge. I became willing to be called out as a fraud. In other words, I was willing to just openly live this. And you could think what you wanted to, which I never, I mean, your opinion had always been very important to me. It was more important that you think I'm awake than for me to be awake. <laughs> right? And suddenly I began began to recognize something's really going on here. And I and as when I Awakening Clarity, when I started that, then I started writing about it. And some of that early stuff is, is pretty good. Um, not always real as clear perhaps as I am today. Not as and I'm not today as clear as I will be a week from now or a year from now. But it was pretty good stuff. But it didn't have a big audience. And so I, then I went out and I started getting other teachers to contribute stuff. And I grew an audience. And I stepped into the background and just did introductions for about 18 months or so. But my introductions became more and more and more involved. I began to get to know the community. In 2012, because I'd been working with them, the good folks at Non-Duality Press, um, we came to an agreement for me to write uh, Beyond Recovery. And once again, see, the game keeps changing, keeps changing. There are these points of acceleration. And, and when I wrote Beyond Recovery, it was the first time that I noticed, my God, there's a pattern here. You're doing the same, you're doing a little bit different way, but you're basically doing the same thing every time somebody wakes up around you. You're doing, and I saw, so began to write those points down in that book. Because I used that, based that book around the 12 steps of, of recovery. So I had 12 steps. And within that, I gave, kept giving descriptions of what it was that I had been doing. Some of them clearer than others. But when I recognized I had a pattern, I said, hell, you've got something to say now. Because I'd always wondered, what do spiritual teachers say when you call them? And I had worked with Scott. But Scott used inquiry. And I didn't have an inquiry, you know. So that's the way that we taught. We didn't just pal around, he took me through, Scott does stuff, just like I do, and suddenly I had something to share, which I thought might transfer, and I started talking to people on the phone, people that were writing me because of Awakening Clarity, because I was, you know, setting myself up as a, as a, you know, the big, the big teacher guy, and, but I was beginning to, to get a hint of just a little humility with it, not much, but a little, and I started talking, responding, and I was writing a fair amount of email and I uh, started with a couple of people that had really pushed me on things. I said, do you want to talk on the phone for free? I wanted to see if this thing would transfer. And we did. And right from the start, I had about a 
And I, I know that we're not, you know, that this is all very anti-non-dual, but I've got to just tell you, i got to report what i got to report. And I had about a 50% success rate with people that I talked to on the phone. In other words, I, about half of the people who had never had an initial awakening before, when they talked to me, they started to wake up. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't seem non-dual to me. It just seems like as long as we throw in the word initial, I'm cool with it. You know, if we if we if we say they talk to you and they're and they're all of a sudden the most enlightened thing yeah, be, being right. on the planet, then yeah, they're elbowing Najashanti off the stage. And right. Yeah. You know, but you give them a kick in the pants. There's some kind of glimpse. There's some kind of uh, you know recognition that they hadn't had before, and it sounds like you've got a formula for that. That's true, and I'll go into that. I began. I had about fifty percent like that, and then it began to as I began to get skillful. As I began to do it. So now I'm really doing it. And then I got to where I was doing it more often. And then, I mean, at one point I was doing it seven days a week. I was doing a couple of these things a day, seven days a week. It was just, but it was just, it was crippling the unit. I like to kill myself, but I was so taken with it. I just, I couldn't believe it was possible. And the funny thing is, is that my, is that people began to have, I mean, not everybody went right back to sleep by a long shot. A lot of people I, it's not like they woke up into clarity, but they certainly woke up in, into their true nature and then and became and became okay with the fact that there was misidentification within that. Okay, and it had nothing to do with the size of the explosion on their end. I've had people that just did what I did. Oh God! You know, and 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 I have a guy in Switzerland now who's one of the most awake people I know. And when when he woke up, he went, "You're kidding." <laughs> and I mean, and he, as far as I, but he been, he had been doing TM for thirty years, and all of that. So he has, he had a lot of context. He had a lot of context, and context. Those, the only people who think that context doesn't matter are the people who don't have any, <laughs> <laughs> right? right? Because context does matter. It's not that it's it's it does, it's not absolutely critical in that it's happening. But I like to liken it to snow, that when snow falls, it doesn't need a tree. It'll just fall right on the ground. But when it does fall on a tree, with the tree of context, if you will, man, it's got so many little things that it can fall on. You've got a whole different thing when there's a tree for that awakened snow to fall upon. And the people who have a lot of context, very often this has been the little thing because they, they, everybody's a hard case that talks to me. I'm not famous, and they don't say, you know, I'm not like, it's not like, well, I tried Byron Katie, that didn't work. Let me try Fred Davis. I mean, just, you know, I'm way down the line. So they are right ready, and they find out the only thing that they were missing is the only thing that counts. In the yeah. Uh, if I understand your use of the word context, it's sort of like, correct me if I'm wrong, but if a person has been a seeker, like your friend in Switzerland, or, you know, or if they're even well advanced on the path, like I have a whole thing here that Mandy Sulk sent me, and and you, and, she, and she's somebody I've interviewed twice, and, uh, but in any case, they've, they've sort of been marinating in this for some time. That's right. I guess we could say they're ripe. Yes. Uh, they're, in a, they're in a state where it's not going to take a sledgehammer to sort of get them to, to, to shift. And uh, whereas if somebody is just, you know, basically spend all their time at NASCAR races and drinking beer and, and they just, you know, haven't even given a, a thought to this, then they're going to be a right. tough, tougher nut to crack. That's right. They are. And the other thing is that sometimes with what I do with this, I mean, I sometimes talk to people like Mandy, you know, who are awake. 
I mean, they, you know, they, they, in other words, they've had that initial awakening long ago. They've, they know truth. They talk about truth. But what, they're, what happens is that we understand very, very clearly what we're not. And we, but we don't yet understand what it is that we are. We've, moved, we've done what I call the 180. We've moved over here into not Fred. We understand the absolute position beautifully. Yeah. Here was, here was something Mandy said. She said it was the clearest way of directly pointing to the I am of my source that I have ever experienced. I think he's an amazing teacher. There's an ego stroke for you. I already felt that I was pretty well awakened and clear about who I am not and somehow clear about who I am. But since his session, I have huge clarity about who I am. Who we are, of course, is infinite, limitless, and beyond understanding on one level, but Fred's approach really does blow the doors open wide and clearly illuminates the unlimited expansiveness of I, and it is very instant. Yes. You know, I remember, I've never done this before or since that I can remember, but I had a woman in Washington, D.C., and we were talking or whatever, and, and, you, could, and she was, you could see that she was still like, am I going to get it? Am I going to get it this time around? I looked at her and I said, don't worry, you're going to wake up in about 20 minutes. <laughs> And 20 minutes later, bam, words just come out sometimes that terrify me. I had a, I had a, a woman one time, in, um, and I'm not a youngster myself, I had a, a woman in England as a client one day, and she had been, she was not in great health, and she was quite old, and she was, had been depressed and everything else, and actually um, her children bought her a session with me, or children or grandchildren, I forget. During that, she had a lot of fear, and I was helping her work through that. She said, "I can't, I can't, just I can't go any further. I just can't. I just, God, it's just too much." She said, "I'm just scared to death." She said, "My heart, my heart." The words just came out, man. I mean, I didn't. I, just, I was terrified. And it said, "Well, I'll tell you what. Instead of resisting that fear, why don't you just let it take you over, and why don't we just see if you have a heart attack and die or not?" <laughs> out of the mouths of babes huh? oh man and i'm sitting over here going oh my god can i can they trace this can they can they find out <laughs> yeah the nsa they, tapes everything they've got you yeah right oh yeah sure right 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 they, they've yeah. got you in some vault in utah right. now saying I, I need to get on the phone with my lawyer <laughs> and what happened was instead was that she could see and she just had such drive this and such courage because she just let that happen and you could just see her she was just shaking like this and then she began to shake a little less, and she began to shake a little less. And about two or three minutes into doing that, she opened her eyes. She said, well, I guess I can't hide there anymore. <laughs> and two minutes later, she came to an awakening. And when I say an awakening, another way to put that is that, is that she simply recognized her true nature. You know, I, get, I have people that come here to visit me at my home. And every time I open the door for somebody that's on the porch, I just think, you know, well, that must be Ted. I mean, he he's already awake. What's he doing here? Why would he come see me? And then and then there's a, the you know practicality tricks in it says, oh, take the money and the credit, let him in. <laughs> <laughs> and so just to to rehash it, when you say someone awakens to their true nature, like this lady, what exactly are you saying? What did they experience? Well, it, the experience is going to vary seven billion ways because mm -hmm. that. Awakening is coming through seven billion different units. But and we all have the is, same. We all have the same true nature. Ultimately. We all have the same true nature, but it's still coming through this. And even when I describe this to you, 
you're going to hear it one way because it's coming through. First, it has to fight its way through my conditioning, which I still got some here. There's This unit's got conditioning. It's going to got to work its way through that unit's conditioning. And then I hear it over there, but I hear it through Rick. But what we essentially experienced is the just the recognition, because I'm already awake. I'm this. All of my attention has always been on, on this, on the solid things. You know, I, I, the game I like to play, which is I put up, is I have people put their hand out. And I'll say, okay, now move it in real close and close your eyes. All right. So open your eyes and tell me the first thing you notice. And they go, my hand. And I say, how about all that space in between? <laughs> Did you notice that? You didn't notice that. So it's this it's it's noticing that I'm this. I'm looking for oneness, but I'm already is what the unit's looking for oneness, but it's already in oneness. It can't find oneness so long as it looks. So the recognition that I am already always awake. That's what we discover is that I'm the one thing the one thing going on and I'm it. I do that in the process that I use in the living method is I'm, as I take them very, most of that is actually deconstruction. It's to take them through absolutely clearly working particularly on the body for them to understand what it is that they're not. And I have them tell me before we go into what you are. So you're very clear on, on what you're not. Is that right? And they say, yes. And I say, okay, well then here comes the fun part. I'm going to help you find out what you are. But until we see through what we're not, because we think we're limited to this little unit here, oh, God, because we're smitten with them. I mean, I love mine. I love to dress it up in clothes. I thought about what I was, it was going to wear on back cap today, <laughs> get its hair right, all that. But it's the discovery that this is just another object in the room. In other words, the camera of our lives starts here and moves out. And... Look at those people. I, I can see very clearly. It's just like they say. It's a dream. And all those people are there, out there, they're dreaming. How about that? I, I, however, and the one thing that is outside the circle of oneness, I'm not in that dream. This unit is not in that dream. But the unit is in the dream. It's just another object. It's not even a special object. It's just another object. It's not an unspecial object, but it's just, you know, there's no difference really. I mean, there's no fundamental difference between me and my dog or me and this. Yeah, of course, you know, you'd be more inclined to throw that cup into a fire than put your hand in a fire. There's, Ooh, there's, yeah. a, there's, there's a certain association no, 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 with right, this object. Right. And yeah. That never <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I just noticed that that's the truth from the absolute view, but from the relative view, oh, no, I, there is a guy here, and I'm him, and I'm not going to put my hand into the fire. The funny thing is that when I was drinking, you know, you would discover that the, the stovetop is on, the stovetop will burn your hand. But then when we're that crazy, we say, well, damn, that was terrible. I, I wonder if the back one will do it. <laughs> the what? I wonder if the back burner will do it, too. Put your hand on the back burner. Oh, my God. Well, if those two really burn. Let me try the other two. And then so, in other words, you're speaking a little metaphorically here, right? I mean, in other words, you do such stupid stuff while you're drinking that you keep doing it and uh, looking for solutions where you're not going to find we, any. And we also do that seeking. See, because I went from having a drinking problem to having a thinking problem. And what I find is that the is that because getting sober is kind of like enlightenment light. It's such an incredible shift. And the parallels, that's the reason so many of us got here through recovery, is that because the parallels are just incredible. But here it's just a little bit different perspective. Yeah. What, I, what always amazes me when I talk to someone who's done a lot of drinking and then they've had a spiritual awakening is just how 
kind of uh, resilient the human nervous system is. I mean, the fact that you can put it through all that and then still have enough brain cells to <laughs> come up with a kind of a, it's amazing. That the brain cells can still be available. And what I, I, what I like to say is that God and St. Peter were having a discussion and God looked over and said, you know, I think I could even make that work. Yeah. And oh, yeah. Let's see you try. And St. Peter said, no way. Two to one. So they have a bet, you know, that yeah. they can even make this into a spiritual teacher if they want. They could probably make a goat into a spiritual teacher if they want, because they just I was only one level up from a goat when they did it to me. So even the rustiest of tools, even the poorest of tools with enough willingness. See, and, and, and that's what I try to talk about. But see, I don't get any credit for my willingness. Because my willingness came from simply just not being able to handle that suffering. Yeah, you, you kind of run out of options or something. It's what happens with, it's what I call the vice of suffering, Rick. Because I knew for 20, 25 years that I was alcoholic. I could watch as it took everything away. It took away my first wife and my second wife. It took away the rest of my family. It took away everything that was ever any good. My credit, my cars, my job, my businesses, everything. So I knew I couldn't drink successfully. For 20 years at least, I knew I could not drink successfully. What I hadn't noticed was the other side of that pattern. See, that just, that's the only part I got was I cannot drink successfully. Damn, I just can't. I just can't. For 20 years, I, I'm going to quit drinking tomorrow. I'm going to quit. I'm going to start drinking less. I'm going to drink liquor instead. I'm going to drink beer instead of liquor or wine instead of beer. Drink, I'm only going to drink on Tuesdays or other Tuesdays going to be the, you know, where I'm going to drink every day but Tuesdays. And then, well, what the hell's a Tuesday? Might as well. So but what happened was, so I, I knew I couldn't drink successfully. What I hadn't yet noticed was that I couldn't quite quit trying. And this is the vital part of the pattern. And in the, in the sea, exactly the same thing happened when, when I woke up, as happened to me when I got sober. When I, when I got sober, when I, there was the recognition, I cannot drink successfully, and oh my God, I can't quit trying. So now I can't quit drinking, and I can't fix it. I'm completely screwed. And under that understanding of that I'm completely screwed, then I became willing to lower myself to listen to somebody else right? I was just fresh out of ideas, first time in my life. And it's only been two times. <laughs> and the second time was that morning when, uh, when, I, when I woke up, which was because, see, I had lost all interest in the story. I didn't want to live, and I noticed I couldn't die. So I can't, right in the same exact place, I can't live and I can't die. I'm completely screwed, and as soon as I was, and I recognized that I'm just hung. Sounds like old man river. I can't stand living, but afraid of dying. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And I was, you know, but I was looking forward to dying. I just couldn't get there because I had to, I was staying alive for Betsy. I was, I was awake for Betsy's sake. Not for mine. I loved Betsy more than I hated living. That's well, the, you know, t taking it back a step, I would say that there's a, the whole universe is one big evolution machine. And, and there's a sort of a evolutionary imperative inherent in everything from the tiniest amoeba to the you know, most sophisticated human nervous system. And we're, there's, just, there's something that drives us. You know, there's, there's a seeking, the, uh, a desire for more and more, which might manifest itself as more toys, more money, more, more, you know, this, more relationships, but which eventually, you know, since those things don't fulfill, has to be 
uh, has to take the direction of you know self recognition or, or spiritual awakening. So that you know, just a little. I think of it the fact. I think of it as like this: is that in my case, because you know, I, I catch some flack once in a while because I'm, it's a self-promoting unit. I'm stuck with it. It's just what it does. And you know, but the reason that we're talking is the fact that is that I started talking sometime back. In other words, if I had just sat in my living room, still being the awake guy, you know, in my living room, that might be very pleasant, but it wouldn't have, but a lot of people who were awfully glad I did not. So that you, there's a, there's a fine line between little self-promotion and big self-promotion, and you kind of got to walk both lines. But the way that I look at this actually is that, it looks like a drive toward, and it's not really. It's a it's a pull toward. It's being pulled, but the util, the way that that pull happens appears to be drive, because I'm I'm teaching because I have no choice. I quit I quit trying to teach as late as earlier this winter. That was just like I got tired of it. It was just killing me. I was working too many hours. I wasn't making much money, and it was just like, and and I mean I didn't have no life at all. And it was like, man, I, I don't think I want to do this. And and I try so I deleted all my videos and I took down the thing from my website. And I thought I was gonna, you know, I'm out of this biz. I, I figured I wrote a book. Hell, I'm done. I did my contribution. Now I'm going back to Fred's life. I'm going to garden and sell books. And that went really great for about three weeks. <laughs> and then yeah. it started making me miserable, and I realized I had no choice. And then, bam back to that vice of suffering. I can't, I, d I don't want to do this, and I notice I can't not. And when I saw that this time, I just abandoned myself completely to this. And um, I will tell you just a quick little interlude, which is that at that moment of that vice that I'm talking about, which occurred um, last winter, the winter of, of uh, 2013, was that my book business died. When I left teaching, my book business plunged because I didn't really need it to, to, to make a living or anything else. My, my book business died suddenly, and I, I suddenly began to, I just wasn't, at, oh, I could tell I wasn't as sharply clear and all this because I was pulling away. I didn't see it that, I didn't initially see it that way. But at any rate, when I, when I finally got to that vice of suffering, I said, okay. I mean, and I think I said this out loud, which I think is, is just acceptable sometimes for a human being to say a little prayer. And it doesn't matter who you're praying to or how you're doing or whatever, just do it if you feel like it. And so on this day, I humbled myself enough to open my mouth and, and say, and I said it's out loud, which was, okay, I got a real good idea of, I see a, a very clear picture of what I'm not supposed to be doing. I need you to tell me what I am supposed to be doing because I'm not smart enough to figure that part out. That evening, I began the book of undoing, and that changed everything. Cool. I really—that's a beautiful story. I really think that you know, it's an intelligent universe, and um, you know, Jim Morrison said you can't petition the Lord with prayer, but in fact, you can. Uh, and you know, it may not—I don't know if it's the Lord you're petitioning, but you know, when when you have an earnest, ardent, you know, uh, desire like that, whether you speak it out or, vo or in, in just in Don't let the straitjacket of non-duality stop you from making out, oh, I can't do that because, you know, I have people that have heard that thing and they'll say, who were you praying to? 
And you know, does it matter? I mean, well, there are you know, there's a, a being with a capital B and beings with small b. I mean, the universe is teeming with life, and much of it we don't, is too subtle for our perception. But I don't care if it doesn't sound non-dual. But I mean, there are angels and devas and all kinds of subtler impulses of intelligence governing this whole thing and very much involved in our individual lives and and concern for our for the evolution of the planet and so on and um you know knowingly or unknowingly we're in league with them to one degree or another and uh, cooperating or not cooperating or whatever but if if one has a sincere intention and can place oneself in a position of usefulness uh it's like oh boy here's another one for the team and and you Intention is everything. Yeah, you, you'll get support, you know. Yeah, intention is everything. That, you know, even when I got sober years later, I could see I really, I worked the steps in a very poor, a very quickly and very poorly, and I used to admit that in recovery. I said, but apparently my intention was clear because I got sober and I've stayed, and I've stayed sober, and that's been quite a while now. So thir- now it's, what, 13 and a half years, something like that. You know, in recovery, we just like, baby children which is that how old are you well i'm two and a half you know you're not, i'm not two the i'm two and a half and in recovery it's how long you've been sober 13 and a half 33 and a half years <laughs> right yeah. you know, 52 and a quarter you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and regarding this whole thing of you know what should i do and and you know should i be teaching and this and that yeah i think there are people who get up on a soapbox too soon or and yes. there are pe- people who, who get up, who probably should be on a soapbox and aren't. Yeah. But um, I think as long as the way I see it, as long as one is honest and humble enough and realistic and all, you'll find your niche. If you just stay out there and you're willing to take the licks, because I did not have a, I didn't have a teacher when I woke up for several years and every, and I now know that absolutely everything that you can do wrong, quote, in you early try, awakening, the you, enlightened you tried people. it out. Yeah, yeah, I tried it out. I gave it a spin, <laughs> you know, and I suffered for it, and that's how I learned. So I didn't. Su- I learned suffering was my pointing. Always has been. It's getting a lot more less so though now in the sense that I don't have the threshold for suffering that I had when I was in the park, and uh, now there's just you know a little bit of a hint of something, and it's like oh, <laughs> I mean, you know. Guess well, what? you get you get more fine tuned. I mean, you know, you, it's like when you're on the highway, you're just making these real subtle corrections in the steering wheel. That's right. And, and it's kind of like, gets more and more like that, where you just uh, you don't. There's a there's a saying. How does it go? Uh, for the wise, only an indication is necessary. Yes. So just a subtle indication. Yes, whereas right. some people really need to be smacked upside the head, yes, you know, because they're, they're, they're not going to take the subtle hints. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that's what I needed. And fortunately, I don't need so many licks anymore. But I sure. But I could still got quite a few. Get quite a few indications. <laughs> <laughs> now you know you, you you do seem to, from what I hear, uh, from what you're saying, you seem to have a knack for an facilitating an initial awakening uh, but then I've heard you talk on your YouTube videos about oscillation and all I mean do you have sort of ways of d- helping people to stabilize a bit I do besides helping people with an initial awakening is that I help a lot of people who've had an initial awakening and they're now in oscillation or they you know they had an awakening three years ago and it was great and I want to be just like that again or whatever but I can't seem to be able to do it they come and what I do and there are certainly there's things that I that I do that are not unique to me. In other words, I didn't invent this whole thing. I didn't invent any of this. I mean, this whole thing just arrived here. I promise you that. But, but, I, but as far as practices, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of meditation. 
Uh, I meditate on a, on a regular basis myself. I don't do it every day, but I do it when I do it. Um, and, and, I, and I like the results that I get from it. I don't meditate to get a result directly, but I still notice that there's one occurs. And sometimes I do meditate to, get a, 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 to directly get a result. Lately, I've been meditating again because for two and a half years, I have been on a path of being pulled so fast that it looked like I was driving. And the unit is exhausted. I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of done in a way as far as all of that part. And so I've been meditating again to get this mind quieted down and slowed down, so that it, so that I'm moving, so that I'm, I'm in. I'm just aware of myself more acutely all the time. Yeah. Well, you can always fine tune the instrument. And, uh, you know, I mean, as as we know, I mean, Ramana Maharshi spent decades in some sort of, sort of meditation after his initial awakening, um, doing whatever he was doing, but there was a purpose to it. Uh, the Buddha spent, you know, after his enlightenment, um, spent the rest of his life, he meditated a couple hours a day or something or so, so we're told. Uh, and uh, it, so it has an effect on, you, you like to call it the unit, you know, it's like, Carbon, carbon unit from the first Star Trek movie, but uh, it it has an influence, and that influence I, I think is, and there's research to back it up, is conducive to refinement and stabilization, yes. and integ- integration, and all yes. that stuff. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. I mean, and I'm also a big, I'm a big fan before and after awakening, of non-dual inquiry. But the difference is, is that we, I still do inquiry all the time, but I don't ever, but I don't do any consciously anymore. Mm, spontaneous but, but a spontaneous inquiry and one of those is just the, the fundamental inquiry of i mean the the willingness to question whatever is going on in my mind you know so is that true i mean because all i have to do to move back into a place of suffering is believe a thought i mean it doesn't make any difference whether it's a big thought or a little thought a significant thought or an insignificant thought if i'm believing that that thought is true there's got to be somebody there to believe that and I want to always be willing to question, is that true? Is it really true? Do you know that? Nah. Yeah, I can tell you've been a bit of a Byron Katie fan at some point. I love Byron Katie. <laughs> yeah. She's wonderful. I, I think that her work is very, very good for clearing people up. I've had, I've had a lot of her students who have come to me um, just who needed, still needed that last bit. You know, the um, and so but they had wonderful context and I often very often recommend her work. That's another thing. I did Byron Katie's work for five years in my house and some of some of my my own stuff, too. But I actually, I think in the end, I prefer hers. And but it was for, for questioning what I call beliefs, opinions and positions. Bops. Bops. Because we're actually, everything's always okay, and then suddenly, here comes a belief and an opinion or a position. We get bopped, you know? And I'm, I'm, it's a beautiful day. I go out of the mailbox. I've got a, um, a bill there from the IRS, and it's like, those idiots! You know? I mean, what are they thinking $5,000 I owe them? You know? I get bopped. And I, and I think that, that, and I think that my, my belief, opinion, or position is true. And I and I can believe that as long as I want to suffer, as long as I'm willing to suffer for it. You know, is that true? No, but I'm willing to suffer for it. It <laughs> polarizes you. It locks you into a sort of a, a little, boxes you into a corner. I mean, because what I talk about is that the fact that, that I mean, doubt is our friend in this thing. 
the outside best friend, the first two thirds or three quarters of, a, of an awakening session is spent raising doubt. That's all it is. It's just raising doubt. So are you sure that that's how this works? Is that, you know, so I know you believe that. Have you actually looked into that? And no. And because what I talk about, what I do is that it's not, it's not talk and tell. It's show and tell. Because talk and tell certainly works. I'm a product of it. But it doesn't work as often as, as show and tell does. When I can actually take you and show you, have you experience your true nature right now. In a self-promoting unit, I would be lost on that. Back to the true nature thing. So do you, do you find that it's sort of like pretty much a 24-7 uh, reality for you? Uh, there's, it just sort of cruises along and, and, you know, you're going through your day and all, but there's this sort of vastness or silence or yeah. whatever. What, yeah. And even during sleep or does it kind of get blotted out during sleep? No, I still don't have, I know that the people that have other reports, but, um, but I don't, um, sleep is the same way for me as it, as it always was. Waking up, I mean, come, you know, in the morning is a little different than it used to be. But the sleep part is the same. I'm pretty much that way too, although there have been times when there's been sort of glimpses of inner awareness during sleep. But So, you know, some friends of mine say it's like just bright as a light, so to speak, metaphorically speaking, throughout the night. There's never any diminution of, of uh, inner awareness, um, despite the depth of sleep. Yeah. Um, but one thing maybe you do notice uh, uh, is that when you wake up from sleep, there's a kind of a sense of bliss or, uh, or like the awareness has been there. Or maybe you, somebody wakes you up in the night, hey, Fred, you're snoring, and you realize, hey, I was snoring, I, I was awake. You ever have anything like that? Yeah. Right. yeah. And there's a, the, the other thing is that when I, I used to be that when I woke up in the middle night of the night, it was like, ah, and now it's like, oh, I can, exp really, I mean, I don't really, my wife and I wake up frequently in the night, and we'll, and we'll kiss or do whatever, because it's just, and we'll, and we'll tell each other we love you, you know, da, 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 because it's just, I mean, it, it's great, whether I'm asleep or not asleep, it's great. So the clarity is there from the moment of waking up, you're saying? There, there's no shift there really at all because that that being is always there and it always knows it's there and it's there when i'm so don't get me wrong when i talk about when i'm sleeping i'm talking about this this sleeps then because i don't ever sleep but this sleeps and when this sleeps there's no it doesn't have any memories of deep, of deep sleep or anything like that but i don't ever go anywhere i don't i don't sleep i'm you know with the like the cab company or something we don't sleep you know <laughs> so is that kind of a conscious recognition throughout the night or is it more just sort of a more of an intuitive knowing that it's, it's just intuitive and because it's there upon it it's there upon that instant of, of awakening it's just right it's just right there and and it's i mean they're honestly it's gotten to where now that i've started meditating again and it's slowing this thing down again once again i'm getting back to the that it's very getting very difficult to get out of bed in the morning, so I can't come up with a really good reason. <laughs> yeah, and and there is a there's a an, I mean a, uh, a physical bliss, that energy that is just and it's just God Almighty. I mean, 
can it get any better than this? I mean, yeah, it will tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was, I thought of that when I was listening to some of your YouTubes, uh, because I think maybe at one point you, you were saying like, you don't, there isn't necessarily going to be bliss or a great happiness accompanying this. And my response was, yeah, not necessarily, but at a certain point there, there probably will be you know, as this develops. But it's you're, not you're, necessarily through the unit, which is the unit may still be having a, difficult time but it's just not taken very seriously yeah but somehow even through the unit bliss becomes more and more of a characteristic well, you remember ananda maima that great indian saint that her, her name actually means bliss permeated mother oh wow uh, you know and there does come a they still have some things to look forward to which is fine with me oh there's always something to look forward yeah. to I'm, yeah so this point there is an undercurrent that what you're talking about there, I think. There is an undercurrent of all is well. I mean, just that never leaves. And it doesn't make any difference what this is involved in. That's always there, but it's subtle. You know, no, it's I know subtle. what you mean, yeah. yeah. It's very good. It's called santosh, contentment. And it, it, become, it becomes a sort of a, a foundational quality, or so, so to speak. But, but this thing about bliss, I mean, there's a saying, contact with Brahman is infinite joy. And uh, I, I, I mention it because sometimes people want to dumb down enlightenment and, you know, kind of sell it short, in my opinion, as being, oh, just this sort of, you know, flat, emotionless, uh, oh yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You know, disp dispassionate kind of thing, but it, I, I, I fully, fully believe it can become a extremely rich and oh, yes, sa yes, yes. saturated with you know joy. I really, and I really think what they're describing there when they're talking about that flat, dry place. Generally speaking, what I discover is that that's with people who have discovered what they're not, but not yet people who have not yet discovered what they are. In other words, they're halfway, they're halfway home. And there can be a lot of bliss in, in halfway home. And you've got to go there and stay there and enjoy it while you do. But just know that it's not the end. And it's often not only experienced as the end, it's often taught to be the end. And we hear a great deal about that. And welcome to my straitjacket. Yeah. It always rubs me the wrong way when I hear that. And so uh, I'm kind of on a little bit of a mission to just sort of popularize the notion that there there is a kind of a vast range of potential development and the same mission yeah and and let's not sell ourselves short you know let's not dumb this down i mean you know it doesn't mean it shouldn't be discouraging to think that perhaps you have a a long row yet to hoe it should be like exciting and encouraging and, because and, it's always be it's, it's always being always becoming this is great it can't yeah. get any better than this but right. oh wow, it did. It did, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the whole thing. I mean, the idea, and you talked, mentioned levels earlier, and I know that I mentioned it in one or two of my videos, and I know we're not comfortable doing that. And you and I are not talking about level one, two, three, four, five. I'm at level five, you know, or whatever. At least I'm not. What I am talking about is the fact that there are very certainly gradations in this, and the idea that, that I am going to move from total ignorance of my true nature to 30 seconds later, elbowing Ramana and Ajashanti aside, I mean, it's just insane. It's the, it's the, this is what Greg Good beat me up with, was it is just, it is the height of arrogance. Yeah. And yeah. even Ajashanti mentioning him um, has a famous quote that he's just beginning. You know, he just feels like I'm always just beginning. Yeah. Yeah. But what I see is that you take somebody like that who's been awake longer than I have and taught so much and just has a 
I mean, he, you know, I just have a lot of respect for him. The uh, and, and and some other teachers as well. But what I notice is that there's just less Ajashanti there than there is Fred here, in the sense that there's a that continuous thinning of the conditioning. That the you know that's the what happens in 2010. What I began to talk when I began to talk for the first time in, in years because I've been trying to say this for years had driven off every friend I had. The uh, but now suddenly when I started talking in 2010, people started waking up. They began, what I was saying actually made sense, and 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 it's because that can in the con- conditioning and the clearing process is really simply the thinning of this. It's where. Because it takes some time, since this occurs in time, it takes some time for awakeness to colonize the body. And, that, and, and that's, what, that's the process that you and I are in and everybody else, for that, for that matter. But you know, ironically, uh, even though, as you say, there's a, con- a thinning of the conditioning, it's, it's my observation that the more it thins, the more actually vibrant and and charming and charismatic and whatnot the personality becomes so on the one hand there's less of the person but paradoxically there's more of the person because there's more yes there's more of the person because there's more light coming through if we thinking about think about it like layers of paint on the glass or dust you know what i like to say is that in every is that in every moment i mean that the awakening is like awakening is like uh, a piece of it's like a window pane and uh, and at every moment, we're either wiping the glass or breathing on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and 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 this when I, what we do after initial awakenings for some people that's they got what they want. And that's fine. I don't know where far they go with it or anything. Else. That's fine. I never hear from them again. Other people will come back, use me to help clear, and. We're just always wiping the glass. And when we talk, we're both wiping the glass. It affects me too. I've just got the great position that they pay me. But it's the but it's but it works both ways. I get I'm, there is certainly more clarity here than there was a year ago before I did however many hundred of these things I've done, you know. Well, that's why I say I like listening to your videos because I sort of I resonate with this guy. I mean, because you know that's my orientation that it's a kind of well like you say you're, and your your website's called awakening clarity right yes. uh, so awakening doesn't mean awakened clarity yeah, right. it, it doesn't right. have a finality to it it's it's it an not. on it yeah and let me say just one quick thing about websites because i have a brand new one is that you will find is the google roots for awakening clarity are much stronger than they are for the new site which is awakeningclaritynow.com got to say it the, yeah. Uh, well, as a, as an SEO professional, I should tell you, you just don't want to go changing domain names too often. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Right. No, no, I sure don't. I, thought, I found that out. But yeah. The, uh, but either way, if I'm to be found, I'll be found. So, yeah. Right. So you, you mentioned a number of times that, you know, you, you get paid for doing this. Uh, how much do you charge for a session and how, what does a session consist of? Uh, an awakening session lasts anywhere from... I like to say two hours, but I've gotten to notice that they usually run a little longer. But somewhere along in that line, if we do it over Skype, it's $250. If you do it at my house, it's 300 because I can go to Skype on my pajamas and don't have to vacuum. Yeah. <laughs> you have to hire the maid to come in and do that. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, and then the clarity sessions are half that. 
It's a, so basically, it's $125 an hour because clarity sessions often run long too. But so my hours are loose. My fees are not, but my mm -hmm. hours are loose. And do you uh, do you still have any other job, or this supports you now? No, this is what I do now. I mean, I still, well, I actually still have the residue of my book business, which is constantly unwet, you know, unwinding. I just donated a bunch of boxes uh, day before yesterday, in, as I unwind it. But it's no longer my my primary income. It's just it's now just sort of a part time deal. Now, I don't I don't want to open up a can of worms, but if you you know if there's somebody who's on welfare or some such thing, do you cut them some kind of break or what? I don't. You know, I, I don't have a I don't have a sliding scale at all. And the, the there are plenty of people who do, and that's who they need to talk to. I mean, just because I know they don't need to talk to me, because because I charge what I charge, and because my website is free, and it's been free for two and a half years. I mean, Awakening Clarity was, I, I only put a few thousand hours into that. You know how that goes. And that's free. And my, when I talk, I talk, at currently at least, I do talks for free. I mean, they're, okay, there's a donation basket if you want to donate. If you don't, that's fine. Because it's whatever you want to pay, including zero. <laughs> the, and my books, the ones that I control, are cheap. The, um, and, uh, so something's got to pay the bills. Yeah, I mean, it's, somebody might gripe about what, how much it costs to go to a doctor, and, and you know, there, there are the $60 boxes of Kleenex at the hospital, but, you know, on the other hand, the doctor did have to go to medical school, and that costs That's right. pretty, pretty That's penny, right. and, you know, That's put it. in hours of studying, right. and, and even, even now, outside of his appointments, he better be spending time keeping up with his craft and yeah. all, so. That's right. What drives me, what, I mean, I'm just, just as a, as a, as a capitalist, non-dualist, I mean, mm -hmm. it's just I just watch the market. I mean, I used to I started out at twenty-five dollars and uh, twenty-five dollars a session, and I didn't have many takers, and I and but I began to have enough, and then I moved to thirty-five, and then I moved to fifty. I can only talk to so many people. I can't do two of these a day, seven days a week anymore. I'll do. I like to do just a few a week, and because they are physically exhausting. I wonder why that is. I should think you'd find them enlivening. When I, when I do these interviews, I, I, I feel more energized than before I started. If the person wakes up, I mean, yeah, there's an enlivening that comes. But my God, if they don't, there's a, there's, oh, there's just, there's, because I don't get that, the, the, I don't get the rush after the, after we win the game. But actually it does, it's because of what we do, even if I'm enlivened immediately thereafter, which is usually the case, there's a, there's a, there's a yang to that end, which will be which will be in an hour or two, you know. But there will be, and if, and the other thing is that my there is apparently an intensity of some nature which I don't quite understand. But my throat is always on the edge of a sore throat, so it's in life in general, or when you do these these sessions, you mean? Well, it'll stay that way. I mean, now because of the sessions, it will be there. I have what I call on camera days and off camera days, and I do four four days a week on camera now. And during that entire time, I'll be able to feel w where I am in regard to um, a sore throat, whether I'm going to lose my voice or not. What happens is, particularly once in a while, if I get into a very difficult DPS, I had one this summer with a woman that. What's a DPS? Uh, well, I'm sorry, it's an awakening session, a direct point oh, session. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. Didn't know the acronym. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. I get it. Right. So 
all of them, all, all of these sessions are direct pointing sessions. Some of them are awakening sessions, some of them are clarity sessions, but they're all essentially direct pointing sessions. If I get into a difficult one, or and and the other thing is, if I, a lot of times it'll be with someone who is, uh, if they're not a native English speaker, it's more difficult because I'll try to enunciate everything much more clearly, make sure that they understand, and that's very taxing. Yeah, and sometimes I'll get with someone where they're just not quite there at, you know, the oftentimes at the two-hour mark. But 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 I can see that, that, that it's there, that, that this is somebody who's just on the cusp of waking up. And I just, I can't, I don't know how to look at my watch and say, well, you know, our two hours are up, you know, sorry. And so I will typically pursue that. Until I just know that there's nothing there, and um, that I've been mistaken, or we've or we've moved past it. That or you've done, done you've done all you can do at this time. Or done something. all I can do at this time, and that, and that's and that's actually always my job. It's never my job to wake somebody up. It's only my job to present what I have to the very best of my ability. And remarkably enough, when that happens, something else comes into play, and people wake up. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm glad I brought that up because, you know, some people might say, oh, 250 bucks, this guy's a money grubber. But if you obviously you throw yourself into this and, and you can yeah. only do so many a week, you're not making some big fat six figure salary at it. And the people who will say that they have an advantage over me anyway. They know how much a spiritual teacher should make. I don't. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> really? yeah. I don't. I mean, I don't know. They, they also they know what I should teach. I don't know. I just get on the get on air and teach what I teach or I get on there. I write what I write. It's I don't have the same idea, and it's probably less than a psychiatrist charges, 125 bucks an hour, and um, you know, and this is arguably more valuable than many of those might be. I've worked with several psych- psychiatrists who who might take issue with that, but I do notice they did come to me, <laughs> and and I do know that they've that, that they've not only come to me, they've come back. I've one, my if I had one occupation that is at the head of the list of the people that I talk to, it's mental health professionals, psychologists and psychiatrists, but more psychologists than psychiatrists, but a lot of, but a lot, also just a lot of straight medical doctors. I would have never, would have never dreamed, and I, I don't know why that is, but boy, I sure talk to a lot of them. Well, they can afford it. <laughs> well, that's one thing, yeah, because they can, they can afford it, yeah. and they will afford it because if they got this on their mind, then I'm just the latest thing. I mean, I got it, you know, because I get those and I get emails that say I can't believe this, but I got to try it, you know. And then the and then they try it and and it's like, love a bitch. <laughs> you're, you're 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 for real. Once that really gets figured out, that what I'm doing is really for real, I'll be booked from here to death. It, well, you, you're going to experience the bat get bump. I can tell you that. <laughs> Well, I'm looking forward to that, you know. But I don't believe I can have much more fun with it than I already have, I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. Well, uh, we've, I'm sure, you know, if I were to listen to all your YouTube videos again, I think, oh, I wish we'd talk about that. I wish we yeah. talked about that. Yeah. There's always something. But, yeah. you know, yeah. this is probably a pretty good dose for people. Yeah, I would think so. About me, maybe it's, maybe about as much as they, of me as they can stand in one session. It's about <laughs> like a DPS. It's been, about, been a couple of hours. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to put up a page on BatGap that will have links to your website and anything else that you told me to link to your books and stuff like that. So those who are listening, if you want to get in touch with Fred, go to BatGap.com. And then from there, you can go to his website and link to his books and all that stuff. That's great. Yeah.
And um, there also on BatGap, you will find a number of things. You'll find a discussion group that I'll set up for Fred's interview. I set one up, for, separate one for each uh, person. And um, a donut, don't, no, donut button, a donate button. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we don't buy donuts with the money. Um, <laughs> and uh, we just became a 501c3 this past week or so. Yes. so after Got the notice. Good job. Uh, after a long application process that uh, has tax implications for US citizens. There's a uh, place to sign up to be notified by email whenever a new interview is posted. So you can sign up for that if you like. And there's a link to an audio podcast because uh, uh, almost as many people just listen to this as actually watch videos because they don't want to sit in front of their computers all that time. So f feel free to sign up for that, uh, the iTunes podcast. Uh, so thanks, uh, that was great, Fred. I really, really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. It's a great pleasure and an honor to meet you. That's the truth. Oh, you too. Um, I feel like we're kind of spiritual brothers or something. Yes, yes, yes. Very <laughs> Yeah. Sure. Good. Well, we'll meet in person one of these days. Maybe. Yes. I'll come maybe. see it at uh, the Science of Non-Duality probably next year. Oh, great. Well, I'll be, I'll be there. Yeah. Unless I get abducted by aliens or something. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks. And thanks to those who've been listening or watching. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.